All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, jumping in today with something a little bit different. You probably noticed I got asked uh, or got given the privilege of preaching at another uh, local church plant here in uh, Tempe this week. So I thought about trying to preach for them and preach for us. And I thought, you know what? No, let's just bring it all together. So uh, I'm going to preach for them, but I wanted to go ahead and record this for you guys, too, that have been tracking along with us so you can continue to follow and worship. So this will not be Colossians. We'll pick back up with it next week. Uh, we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to get into one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and some of you may have heard me talk through this before. Um, and if so, cool, you can hear it again. And if not, because I didn't write it, first of all, you know, it's his word. <laughs> And then uh, second of all, if you haven't heard it, cool. Maybe it'll be something that, that helps you grow a little bit more. But uh, having been given the privilege to preach here, I just wanted to jump in and share this because this is one of those passages I love to talk through. And for me, it's always a good reminder. It's always e- even studying back through it again because I restudy every time. I don't ever just re-preach the same thing because for me, it's God's word and I want it to grow me first. So having done that, we'll go to Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to look at a passage uh, that's familiar, but I love it. And um, we're going to kind of consider a walk above the clouds. So that's what I'm I'm thinking through, a walk above the clouds here. Um, and uh, this is what I want you to remember. We're going to read through it, but what I want you to kind of remember, and this is not an outline, this is just a, pro, uh, a thought, I guess, in three parts. Our situation shouldn't influence our faith, our perspective puts our situation in place, and then anticipation of seeing God will change our perspective. Okay, Our, our situation shouldn't influence our faith. Unfortunately, it does. It shouldn't. Our perspective, though, will put our situation in place, and then anticipation of seeing God will change our perspective. Okay, You're going to see that as we walk through it. So just remember... In short here, just remember that when you're living a life of in anticipation of seeing God, when your life is being lived that way, your entire perspective will change, okay? Even if your situation doesn't, your perspective is still going to change, and that anticipation will change the way that you live each and every day, regardless of your situation. You're going to see that in the text. So we're going to read this. Keep in mind that Isaiah is writing to Israel, obviously, but he's writing prophetically. So he's speaking to Israel in a future time, a time that has not come yet for Isaiah. Uh, It's in our past, but it was in his future. And so he's writing to a future time when Israel is going to be taken captive uh, and be exiled in Babylon. So I'm going to read... Maybe if I can find it. Here we go. I'm going to read chapter 40. We're going to look at 27 to 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lord, I love you. This passage is so awesome, so encouraging. Thank you for putting it in your word. Thank you for saying it and meaning it. 
And uh, God, I pray as we open it up today and just spend a few minutes on it that you are glorified by that and that you help our lives become impacted by your word. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. So Molly and I have lived uh, a few places. I've lived in several. I've lived in uh, Atlanta, Ten- or well, Atlanta and Tennessee. How about Georgia, Tennessee, Texas? Um, obviously now Arizona's home. I hope it stays home. We love it here. But in my 47 years on this planet, at the time of this recording, uh, I've, I've been in almost every state in some capacity, um, and I have all kinds of memories. I, I remember being in a band. We played a concert outdoors uh, with at Cape Cod in Plymouth, Massachusetts, with the Mayflower replica sailing behind us, not even joking, and just to the right of the stage was Plymouth Rock. Beautiful, amazing moment in time. But I also remember preaching to inmates on death row at Louisiana State Prison, Angola, in the heat of summer. I spent the night in a van that was busted up and broke down in Wyoming. Um, Our trailer had fallen apart, and between three people, we only had 80 bucks. No idea how we were going to get out of it. But I've also spent a weekend with my wife in the Crown Plaza Hotel in Times Square, in New York, which was an unbelievable experience. I've been in about a dozen countries, give or take. Um, and from, I remember getting an Arabic shave in Tunisia that was such a cool experience and have smuggled Bibles into a place that will not be named. Remember meeting underground church leaders and church planners and disciple makers. Underground meaning they're hiding for their lives. Uh, in Senegal, and I also remember sitting down with grandmothers and having a meal in Ukraine, listening to them talk about their lives and their grandchildren. I've traveled a lot and I've seen a lot, and I'm not saying any of this to brag. I'm pointing all this out to just say that there's something I've learned in this time, and it seems obvious, but when you see it, it changes things. The world is super diverse. The people are diverse. The landscapes are diverse. And I know that circumstances can change like that. They can change so quick. And it's so easy to be encouraged in your faith one moment and then completely discouraged the next or challenged at the least. And most of the time, what it happens, that challenging thing or that encouraging thing happens because our circumstances suddenly change and it fuels one or the other point being our perspective is fickle. Hear me? Our perspective is super fickle. Isaiah knew that. The people, and he knew the people who are here of Israel are going to be taken to Babylon one day. And that they're going to see a world they've never seen before. And they're going to be around people they don't know. And they're going to hear languages that they don't know. And they're going to experience struggles. And they're going to experience temptations and challenges to their faith. So he's writing them this beforehand as a solution to the problem before it happens. Now, everybody jumps to Isaiah forty thirty one and goes out and gets a tattoo. Okay? <laughs> Not hating. But I'm just saying, everybody jumps to that verse, but there's context to that verse. That's why I started where I did. There's a problem in verse 27, and verse 31 is the solution. Okay, there's a problem in verse 27. Don't miss that. That verse 31 is the solution for. So let's look at it in verse 27 uh, of chapter 40. Isaiah says there in the second part, he says, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right, or justice, 
is disregarded by my God. The sense is that God's not paying attention to them and God's not defending them and God's not bringing justice for them. That's the, that, that's the problem. That's the complaint. They, they feel like God's not paying attention to them. You ever feel like that? You ever, I mean, Israel felt like they were forgotten by God here, like the enemy was all around and completely victorious. They had been humiliated. They had been stripped of everything, regardless of whether this is judgment for sin or any of that doesn't matter. That's what they felt like. They had been stripped of everything, humiliated, and their enemies were triumphing over them. Where are you, God? You ever ask that? Where are you, God? You know, don't you see what they're doing here? Don't you see what they're doing to me? Can't you see that? Can't you hear how they're talking to me? Why is this okay with you, God? Why is this okay? Why don't you do something? You can. I know you can. Why won't you do something? These are the questions. Don't you care? Aren't you a loving God? Don't you care? Not, 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 not being, you know, heretical. They're just. Break their hearts are challenged and they're speaking from their heart here, frustrated. And if you're honest, I bet you've been there. I bet you have, believer or unbeliever. I still bet you've been there. Our situation shouldn't influence our faith, but we let it. But we let it. Look how Isaiah responds. Look at verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Don't you know this? Wait, listen. The Lord, proper name, all caps, L-O-R-D, is a proper name. So it's Yahweh, Jehovah. It's the person of I am, that God. The Lord is the everlasting God. That means eternity to eternity. He's always been. He always will be. Doesn't mean he's never going to die. It means he never, there was never a day one, He's which is impossible to put your brain around. But he has always been. That's what he's saying. The Lord is the everlasting, eternal God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah, in just a few words, is blowing his own mind. <laughs> blowing his own mind, thinking on God for a minute. And, and this is common in Scripture. In fact, Paul does it. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Paul blows his own mind. Watch this. Oh, the depths and the... And you can go back and read what leads him to this. But, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of God? Or who has been his counselor? Or who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid? From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's the way I believe he said it. You know what I mean? David, his mind blown by God. Psalm 139, the whole chapter, but we're only going to read a few verses. Verse 1. O Lord, all caps, proper name, Jehovah, Yahweh, I am. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. You see what he's saying there? I can't even get my brain around you, Lord. You're amazing. 
In fact, the majority of Isaiah chapter 40, that's exactly the same language he's talking. Look back. We'll just skim a couple of verses. Isaiah 40, look back at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in balance. Obviously, God didn't physically do all those things. He's just saying he, that's who he is and certainly able to do those things. He is the creator. Verse 13. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him some counsel? Who? Verse 14. Whom did he consult? And who made him under? Who helped God figure it out? Who taught him the path to justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? It's all rhetorical. Nobody did. That's the point. Verse 18, we'll skip, skip down a few. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness can you compare with him? In other words, uh, God is like blank. Fill in the sentence. Now, I told you last week God is like Jesus because Jesus is God. But to go beyond that and say God is like what? What are you going to compare him to? Verse 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Oh yeah, tell me who I need to be like, God would say. Sarcasm. Verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Look at the stars. What are you saying? Look at the stars. Look up there. Who made those? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. In other words, he owns the rights to them and he calls them out however he chooses. By the greatness of his might and because he's strong in power, not one is missing. So why, why point all this out? Why is Isaiah pointing all this out? Why do these other guys that I mentioned, what are they, why do they point all this out? Isn't it obvious? Don't they know this? Verse 28 of Isaiah 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Don't you know this? Yes, they know. Yes, they know. So then, why verse 27? Look back at it. So then, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? If you know all that, why do you say that my way is hidden from the Lord? Isaiah goes on. Look back in verse 29. He gives power to the faint. Faint there being weary or exhausted. It doesn't mean that they're literally dropped in the ground, but they're ready to. Uh, And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Notice he's talking to a particular person here. He's not telling everybody. He's saying to him, to that person who is faint and who has no might, he increases strength. Why to the powerless? Why to the weak? Why to that person in particular? Because that person knows nothing in them made this happen. That person knows there's nothing left in them. They are powerless and empty. It's not in my own ability. In fact, I am about to fall out. That person is the one that sees God move. But then Isaiah drops a bomb here. He's encouraged them all. He said, you know all this. You know who he is. And he. And I don't care how exhausted you are. He will give you strength. But then he drops this bomb. That even though God is all-powerful and sovereign, verse 30, even youth shall grow faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. So what he's saying is even the strongest ones are going to have it hard. 
Even the strongest ones are going to be weary and fall exhausted. Does that sound encouraging to you? Wait, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? If he's, if he's who he says he is and he hears me, why, what, what's all this? Where's the good news? Times are going to be hard, so hard that even the youngest and the strongest are going to drop. And notice that he tells them this beforehand, yet he doesn't tell them a way out. He's telling them this time is coming when it's going to be this way. And you, even the strongest, the youngest, most healthy are going to be dropping from exhaustion and passing out and, and, and falling out and whatever. And he, but he doesn't say, and so here's how you're going to get out of that. Here's how you're going to escape that. Doesn't say that. Instead, he prescribes a path to victory in that. Times might be hard for you. I don't know. Times might be hard for you. I mean, I feel like they're hard for everybody right now, but maybe in your case, especially Corona and all that, but maybe in your case, they're particularly hard. So hard that even your best effort just keeps draining you. You know, you might be young and strong and on fire for God and whatever else, but you just feel like, hey, man, right now things are just draining and and I can't keep going. You may feel like you're going to drop. I'm so exhausted. I just can't keep doing this. You know, and and guess what? He may not give you an escape. He may not give you an escape. But God is telling you something beforehand for us. You know what? You know how he does that? This right here. This is how he's speaking to us beforehand through his entire word. He's telling us beforehand and he's prescribing a victory for us in the hardship. He's prescribing through his word a victory for us in the hardship. Just like he did with Isaiah. He gave them God, his word beforehand that told them a solution to their problem and a victory that was going to come. And first, though, note that that only comes to those who have no power, no strength, nothing left. Is you know, that power and that strength, we tend to want to say it comes with super faith, man. He's so faithful, man. I know he's got it. We think it comes on meditating alone, like, um, and you somehow or another, you've got like, you're, you're building up your ability to cope, you know, or by daily quiet times, not hating, just saying, or by going to church, not hating, just saying, or giving a tithe, not hating, just saying. All of those things, we think we continue to do those, and somehow or another, that's going to make God pleased, and my life's going to get easier, and the problem is going to become more bearable, and that's not what he says. He didn't say give more. He didn't say go to church more. He didn't say meditate. He didn't say, you know, build super faith. He said tap out. UFC term. Tap out. I surrender. I'm done. I, I'm fainting here. I can't go any further. I'm, I'm over it. It's not in my strength anymore to do this. I can't do it. It's only for those who know that they need him only. And him only. And then he gives the prescription, verse 31. It comes by waiting for him. By waiting. So what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, let's look. Verse 31. Here's the solution for the problem. Why do you feel like he forgot you? Why are you struggling all these things? Here's the solution. Verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. That's uh, The NIV says soar. That's the idea. They soar 
or ascend, they climb on the wind. With wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So let me make a couple observations here really quickly. First of all, there's a progression that 99% of the time gets looked at in reverse. In reverse. And what I mean by that is we put the wings of eagles at the end of the sentence with a period. That's not the end. That's the beginning. The progression is not walk, run, fly. The progression is fly or soar, run, and then walk. So why start with the eagle? Well, uh, shortly after we moved here, I was sitting in the backyard and I saw this huge shadow go across the ground. I mean huge. At first I thought it was a plane, but it went so fast. I was like, that's not a plane. That's a bird. And I stick my head out and I look and I, for about a second I see this gigantic bird in the sky. Now, I am almost certain it was an eagle. It was too big to be a hawk. Uh, it was giant. And this thing, with one, I remember seeing it float over our house a little bit and then with one just swoosh, it was like a jet. It was all the way to the horizon before I could even blink, it seemed like. That's soaring, effortless soaring, just all all up on the wind. But it's not about effortless life that he's talking about here. He's not talking about getting up where the eagles are and soaring effortlessly. That's not what he's saying. Because it's not the finish. If that were true, that would be the finish line. That's not the finish line. That's the start, right? There is running and then walking that comes at it. What he's talking about is a perspective a perspective of a soaring eagle. What's the perspective of a soaring eagle? Come back to my backyard. We live in a flight path of Sky Harbor Airport, which is a big airport, and a lot of planes come over. And uh, we're not super close, but we're close enough um, that sometimes they're low enough we can even see what a particular airline it is, or if it's Southwest or Delta or whoever. Sometimes we can see on the tail as it's coming over. Um But that's our perspective looking up at the plane. If you're in the plane, if you're one of those on the plane, we're just a little dot down there as you sail by all of these houses and all of this landscape. In fact, odds are extremely high you wouldn't even see us out there. Your perspective is totally different. And we are in a valley surrounded by Rocky Mountains. Yet, if you get in that plane, because I've been in quite a few, as you climb, all those mountains seem to just disappear. They just get flatter and flatter and flatter. That's the perspective of the eagle. It's a change in perspective from where you are on the ground to when you are soaring on an eagle's height. Things aren't so bad all of a sudden. You could see farther. Maybe you can even see over the next mountain and maybe even over the next mountain. If you're high enough, maybe you could see five mountains away. Then, 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 once you realize, man, you know what? All right, all right. It's it's not just this little moment in time. There's a bigger thing happening here. Okay, I see. Okay. You know, you start to chill and, and then you start to soar because you can see better and the panic goes away. And then all of a sudden, a progression starts. You go from that down to running. All right, now we're back. Now put me back down. Let's go. I feel good. I feel good. But the problem is if you keep running, you're going to burn out. So the finish line is to drop to a walk. To just say, okay, 
All right, I got this today. I got this tomorrow. And then the next day I'll have that. Your perspective changes. You start to settle back down to where now I'm ready to walk day to day. But, but, the second aspect here is really big. Second aspect here is really big. Look back in verse 31 and tell me who's doing this. Because I've again heard this preached so many times that we, God's spirit lifts us up and we fly. That's not what it says, is it? How many times do you see the word they in there? They will do it. They who wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. They do it. So it's on you. How, how do you do that? Well, look what he says. By waiting. They who wait. Now that word wait in our language gets confusing because although it still means the same thing, but we go straight to waiting as though I'm sitting at a bus stop. That's not what the wait means. It means anticipating. Anticipating is such a better word. Those who anticipate the Lord. The word, it's the same word Isaiah uses in chapter 5 verse 2. I'm not going there, but I'll just tell you that he tells the story of a man who plants a vineyard and then waits for grapes. Anticipates grapes it's work to plant the vineyard it's ongoing work to cultivate the vineyard and only god complete dependence on god for that vineyard to actually grow i mean you're doing your part but god has to be the one that makes it grow and so the planning and the work is in anticipation waiting that god will cause growth to happen that god will bring grapes or we would say fruit in our lives if you know my wife Molly, you know that uh, her birthday is is it, man. I mean, I, I got really I got really lucky because I married a woman who doesn't really care about dates at all. I mean, even anniversaries for the most part, uh, you know, v- Valentine's Day, all that stuff. She just doesn't have any interest in it. Doesn't really care. But the trade off is her birthday is epic. Her birthday is huge. So that one, that's fair trade. I'll take that any day. But I have to remember that one. So she takes it very seriously. She is waiting for her birthday. She is anticipating that date. Um, I am too. I'm waiting on her birthday. I'm anticipating. We're both anticipating it for different reasons, though, at different times. She builds excitement, and I work. But both of us are anticipating the joy of the day. She's getting ready for the party. I'm trying to plan the party, however it looks. So that's what wait means. Or think about it this way. You're the husband-to-be standing at the altar with the uh, uh, preacher there ready for the wedding, and you're facing the back wall, right? And you're waiting on that door to open, and then anticipation is as you wait for the door, and then all of a sudden there comes that sound, the march is about to play, and then the door opens and anticipation starts to build as you anticipate, you wait on your Wife to come down to you. That's what he's talking about. You're waiting on her. So we anticipate Jesus the same way. I'm not talking about his second coming, although that. I'm just talking about his presence. Like we desire him. We want him. But we don't do it by sitting there waiting or sleeping. We do it by making preparations. By getting prepared. By looking for him in every way possible. All right, we look for him. We anticipate him by looking at the cross. 
We anticipate him by looking at an empty grave, which we do every year, but we should do it all throughout the year. We anticipate him most of all, just like Isaiah did, by reminding each other of his word. Go back and read what David wrote. Go back and read what Isaiah wrote. Go back and read what these people wrote. Remind yourself of it. Anticipate him that way. We remind each other of his promises and his identity, who he is, what his nature is. We're learning his character. We're anticipating him because he said so. Because that's the kind of God that he is. Because he promised. So we begin to anticipate and look for that. You've got to know his word to do that. Our situation shouldn't influence our faith, but it does. Our perspective On those eagle's wings, our perspective puts our situation into place. You know what? Okay, that's just a little piece of it all. We're okay here. And then anticipation of seeing God will change your perspective. So as you put it back in place, then you start anticipating God and your whole look on things begins to change. There's more to this. There's more excitement to this. It will cause a faithful life and it'll feel like walking above the clouds. A faithful life that feels like it's walking above the clouds. You know, Isaiah wrote that the people of God should change their perspective and look for the coming of the Lord. Not just the second coming, but his action in their life. His his movement, his honoring of his word. That's that's what he taught them to look for. And And this change in perspective would enable them to live... In even the most difficult circumstances, even those who are faint and weary, it would strengthen them to walk, to keep going. In the same way, when we look to the cross, in the same way, when we look to the cross, it should change our perspective. Our life should stay strong, even in the most difficult of circumstances, because we look at that cross, we look at that empty grave. If you're today feeling like life's miserable, like nothing can make it better, I want you to know the cross can change everything. If if you feel like God couldn't possibly accept you the way you are because of all the garbage that you've done, the thoughts you still have, the struggles and the things you still wrestle with, the things you still do now, if you think God cannot Take you, love you, and care for you. I want you to know the cross can change everything. Can change everything. He came, Jesus came, and climbed up and bore that cross. Died on that cross for you. Because the very problem that you feel you can't escape is the solution that he provided for you in the cross. He took that problem on himself. He took all our sins upon himself. It enabled him to be a just God and do the legal, just, just right thing because someone had sinned. We had to bear our penalty because he loves us. In the cross, you have his justice, but you also have immeasurable love that he would bear that justice for us. He died, went to a grave that had no chance of holding him. He created everything. The grave had no hold on him. He's the creator of all things. So again, he came out of a grave for us. Because for us, the grave does have control. There is no escaping death. So he did for us to provide that way. And listen, by faith, by faith, you can become a child of God. By faith, you can... 
Turn your life to him. Accept his forgiveness. Call out to him. Lay your life in his lap. Say, Lord, you can have me. I'm tapping. I'm tapping. I'm the one that's weary. I'm the one that's about to fall over. I'm the one that's tired of fighting. I'm done. Take me. Take me. Give him complete control of your life. Become a child that anticipates the Father. Become a child that's anxious to see God move in your life. That's anxious to see Jesus move in your life. Surrender your life to him. Tell him. And then hit us up. I say that every time, but that matters to me. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. I don't care where you are. Hit us up and let us know that you did that. Listen, if you're already part of the family, it's not complicated. Are you? Do you anticipate him? Not the second coming, that too. But do you anticipate his presence? Do you anticipate him being here? Do you listen for him? Are you in his word? Are you looking for him and expecting him because you understand what he's promised and what he's like and what kind of character he has? If not, you need to get in his word. Are situations influencing your faith? When things are good, my faith is great. When things are bad, my faith is awful. Uh, Do you feel defeated as a believer? Stop focusing on your surroundings. Get in his word and remember who he is. Then remember who you are as a child of Christ. Focus on it. Let your meditation, you want to meditate? Great, meditate on this word. And let that meditation on him lift you up like an eagle. Think on passages that set you on fire. Oh man, God is so much bigger than that. Read Psalm 139 every day if you have to. Get your mind set on it. But don't stop there, okay? Don't stop on the soaring above God's bigger. Don't stop there. Keep it, but keep at it and let that set you down. Okay, I got it now, man. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go now, but don't stop there. Ultimately, you want to get back to walking. Hey, things might be bad, might be crazy in this world, but I'm cool. You're walking day to day, serving him. Perhaps even in the same situation you've been in the whole time, but with a new perspective and renewed faith. That's my prayer for you. And let me pray with that. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. As always, God is so awesome. Thank you. Lord, I pray you do help us to see what you see, to hear what you hear, um, to take your word and pour it into our own hearts, Lord, that you would write your word into our hearts and encourage us, Lord. Help us hold on to that word, and God, let it be something that encourages our walk. I pray today, if anybody's come to you for the first time, God, that you would encourage them, that you would draw them to a good Bible-teaching church that makes disciples and let them learn what it means to be a disciple of Christ and a child of God. And uh, Lord, we just thank you so much. You're so amazing. Thank you for not leaving anyone behind thank you for those who are that that we can have hope even and especially those of us who struggle those of us who are uh, faint and weary and i pray if there's anybody today that's at the end of their patience is at the exhaust complete exhaustion lord lift up their head point them to your word renew their strength lord let their work in reading and knowing your word foster renewed strength so that they can grow back to a walk that honors you no matter what their circumstances look like. We ask these things in Christ's name for your glory. Amen.